Every Human, and welcome to episode two, season two of the Inside Out podcast. With every episode, my hope is that you take away some insights and apply them to your life to bring about positive change. And today's episode, we hear from the, the magnificent and the wonderful John Murray. John is widely regarded as Ireland's leading headshot photographer and trained by the world's leading headshot photographer, Peter Hurley. John is not only an award-winning portrait photographer and speaker specialising in headshots and self-awareness education, but he also is a national director of the Individual Development and Training for Junior Chamber International. With emphasis on substance of his clients rather than the superficial, his focus is drawing out the personalities and inner strengths of each person he photographs, giving a sense of who they are to anyone looking on. Identified as, as one of John's biggest strengths, educating others has always been something John has enjoyed. From teaching while being a brand ambassador for Canon, to helping clients understand their stress triggers and the things that are holding them back. With this in mind, John certified as a cognitive behavioural therapy and as a mindfulness master practitioner in 2018 under Kyan Ramsey. Not solely a photographer, John is a speaker and self-awareness educator and regularly speaks on stages for clients such as LinkedIn, Facebook and at conferences such as the Networking Summit partnered with Women's Inspire Network and is a proud PEPS partner to Workplace Wellbeing platform pep talk hq in 2017 john murray headshots was named as a supplier to and part of google supplier diversity program and in 2020 partnered with dial global for the dial faces campaign celebrating diversity inclusion inclusion and belonging by photographing thought leaders and change makers in the area of diversity and inclusion including people from the english football team association f1 racing and bank of england from working with huge brands such as LinkedIn, Google and Bank of Ireland to shooting individuals, actors and models, John's unique approach has proven to bring out the best in everyone he shoots. Today's episode is jam-packed to the rafters with lots of laughs, epic chats about how we can overcome imposter syndrome, let go of caring about what other people think and in turn allow us to do what makes us happy and find our value in the world. So without further ado, let's get cracking. John Murray, welcome to the Inside Out podcast. I'm, I'm very excited to catch up with you and have this chat. So thanks for, for being on the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for having me on. And welcome to my mobile office, the <laughs> joys of lockdown. Um, we have some emergency works going on in the house. So I've had to vacate myself in the house and all the drilling and the banging and stuff like that to sit in the car next to the estuary in Malahide and it's do a, my... It's a pretty um, romantic spot now, to be fair. It is. I just thought, you know, first thing in the morning on a Friday coming into the weekend, you know, why shouldn't we have a bit of a romantic morning? I see you with your little kettle drum thing behind you where you, they're really expensive. You yeah, my, be, my lovely wife bought it for me for Christmas, so I'm very lucky. Yeah. And there was me thinking I was getting a date Friday morning. <laughs> Um, yeah. Someone said to me yesterday, uh, anybody who buys someone an instrument that they've never played before, that's real love. And I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine was like, look at that. That's amazing. Like, I'm after buying one of these things. It's great. And then he bought a second one. And then he bought a third one. Like, he racks up kayaks like that as well. I don't know how his missus puts up with him. But he has all these kind of weird little Indian drums and stuff like this and these kind of real holistic drums. 
And I was like, that's a great idea. My brother got my brother, Chris King, uh, Crindle. Uh, uh, we, my mom insists that we do it every year. And then we end up buying presents for everybody. But the, um, but I was like, oh, that'd be a really cool idea for my brother because he's into music. And then I went online and looked at them. I was like, I'm not getting one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky. You don't love them that much. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I've played it a few times now. It's fairly simple, really, so as long as you do your own tune. But if I had to play with something else or somebody else, then I think it would be a different story. But yeah, nice to mess around with. Um, talk to me about you. Tell me about your story. I've only met you in person once, and it was a very quick hello, and we were pulled in separate directions. We were both speaking at the Mental Health and Wellbeing Summit at the exact same time. So you couldn't check out my talk, I couldn't check out yours. Um, so this is, I'm, I'm really excited to actually talk to you, um, albeit virtually, but look, um, we're, we're here now. <laughs> and this yeah. situation we're in, um, I'd love to be sitting down with a pint or a coffee and, and having this conversation, but look, um, the romantic date in the car virtually is, is perfect for me. Um, tell me about you um, and your story. My story? Um my story is a bit in parts like a country and western song there's all sorts of uh, crap and tragedy going on okay. but um, I grew up in the city centre in Dublin I, my dad worked in RTE well he, he worked in staging so he worked in the most of the theatres in the city um, and then he went back to working on RTE um, he actually left RTE when he was about 17 because he spent the best part of a day with his hand up Bosco's arse this is one of those podcasts where I can say anything isn't it absolutely anything. Um, and he was like this is not for me so he left and he eventually went back and then he was there for like 30 years when he went back um so like I come from a working class house you know we don't we're not anyway kind of super duper we're not super rich we're not super posh um my mom was a cleaner and then a supervisor in a cleaning company you know we got told many many times when we complained about things that you know i clean shitty toilets for that and you know it was a we had a normal life mm -hmm. um i talk about a lot i suppose i i don't hide anything within my life i used to but i don't anymore um a friend of an uncle of mine sexually abused me when i was 11 to 12 um, and it caused it, it was a repressed thing it was wasn't spoken about it look I never spoke about it and it all came out when I was like 21 there was absolute chaos you know I was a disaster of a teenager I was very uncomfortable in my own skin and um, I'd fallen off my bike when I was nine as well I smashed my teeth in and my mom held them in with a sponge with milk on it and took me up to Harcourt Street Hospital. There was a hospital on Harcourt Street, believe it or not, way before people were actually born. Um, and she brought me up there and we were there till like two o'clock in the morning till an emergency dentist came in. And your one's best idea was to stick a temporary brace across the front of it that looked like, it was basically plaster Paris. Okay. So it looked like wet bread across the front of my teeth. Now I was in fourth class at the time. So I went through I was going to the dental hospital in Dublin every single Thursday for, I got, don't know how many years. Um, what happened was the bone that teeth are made from and, and the way that the, I suppose the physiology of the mouth is, or the gum is that they're not perfused enough. There's not enough blood flow to the teeth mm. to put enough nutrients in there to help them to regenerate like regular bone and to knit when they break. Uh, but mine did. So I was like a walking science experiment for dental students in the dental hospital in Trinity College for years. Um, 
I used to get a fiver every now and again as well. It's like part of their exams or their thesis or something. You get a fiver to get your name put in things. Um, but yeah, my teeth had refused or the one tooth had refused. But what they had to do was they had to take the nerve out of it and it discolored. So I was going around with one brown tooth for my whole teenage years with a weird brace on because, and then I smashed my teeth again playing basketball. Um, and I ended up with another brace on my teeth. So that was happening for my whole teenage years into my early 20s. And then I ended up getting an implant put in. Um, so this is an implant. Oh, wow. um, and it's a normal color and it looks great. And it's, but, you know, all of that experience, I was very self-conscious. I was very uncomfortable. I, you know, was a late bloomer when it came to talking to girls and stuff like that because, you know, I didn't look the way I thought I should look. You know, I was very, very conscious of the, the tooth thing. Um, and then I had all the other issues that were going along, kind of following the abuse. So, mm. yeah, that was the startings of my life. And then after that, then I went to college. I went to the States and I did finance and I did finance through um, NCI and a thing called the International Fund for Ireland. So it was a cross-border community thing. So they were bringing people from the North and the South together um, because the IFSC had been built. It was in the early 2000s and they were saying, look, we want to give people a chance. We want to give these people from disadvantaged areas a chance. So I've, despite the fact that weird things, like the bad things that happened, mm. you know, some of the opportunities and some of the things that have happened in my life since are just incredible. Like, you know, um, it kind of pinched me moments when I was in fourth class as well. I was, I went on stage in 1992 with Michael Jackson and Lansdowne Road and sang oh. Heal the World. Yeah. Wow. Big into music. Um, you know, that the teacher, Miss Brew, she's now the principal of the school or she's, I think she's just retired. Um, she was my teacher in fourth class and she was like, you're, you're good at music. You don't really, I think she felt a little bit sorry for me as well. I didn't really do a lot. You know, I wasn't as included as the rest of the kids. I was a bit bullied as well. And she's like, look, here's an opportunity here. So go off and do it. And there was loads of kids. It wasn't just me. But um, yeah, that was, it was really, really cool. Like I got to do that. We got free t-shirts and got free tapes and everything like that. And he was supposed to bring us to McDonald's, but I think his face had melted that day or something. Yeah, it was really, it was a, it was a cool thing. Like it's one of those random facts about John that, class some, some people know not a lot of people know but some people know, <laughs> and, will know. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a weird thing but um you know even from that and there's other things that have happened through my life you know talking on stage like the mental health and well-being so what we got to share a stage with Deepak Chopra like how yeah. crazy is that I'm from this like some of my friends live between like, that I grew up with live between the bookies and the pub you know and that's their life mm. and my life as I get to share stages with like Kingsley Aikens, yeah. Marshall Goldsmith, you know, Deepak Chopra, you know, get interviewed on Indian TV and Brazilian TV and stuff like that. Like national director of an international organization, the uh, JCI with 250,000 members, you know, all that sort of cool stuff. Um, I talk a lot about imposter syndrome, I suppose. And the fact that I don't feel like I belong in a lot of these circumstances. And it's the same, it goes back to when I was in school. I didn't feel like I belonged. I went to Marion College. Just, again, lads from Pierce Street and Ring's End, but then there's lads from Docky and Colony and sure, 
the lads from Pierce Street and Ringsend I didn't really hang around with. So I'd play basketball with lads from Stillorgan and Dawkey, Colony, all those sort of areas. And I didn't really fit in with them. And I didn't feel like I fit in. So I had imposter syndrome all the way through school. Every every single time I went in, um, I think I created a lot of the, I know I was bullied, but I think I created a lot of the bullying myself because I walked like a victim because I felt like a victim. And sure, you know, if you look like a victim, they're going to pick on you. Like, and I, I think um, that's really important. And sorry to interrupt you there, because I think the the stories we tell ourselves, the scripts that we have from, you know, things that have happened, you know, so yeah. maybe go back to the abuse, go back to your teeth and all that kind of experience that you had. There, a narrative is formed and then a belief is formed. And then based on that, well, how we think and how we feel is kind of the, the next process. And then it kind of results into how we show up. So a lot of that, it goes back to that belief and that script. So I think, you know, this podcast is it's called the Inside Out Podcast. So my main aim with this is to help people understand that it's an inside out approach to, to becoming, you know, happier, more fulfilled, all that kind of stuff. But it's, we often look to external sources or people or other things that will make us happy or trying to go somewhere else to the outer, the external world to find happiness or to find that peace or to find that contentment. Um, would you say, when was that when you kind of, I suppose, got to that point where you kind of go, okay, well, I need to change this script. I don't think I was clever enough. I think I was too clever, but not clever enough to do that it was a series of straws that broke the camel's back you know it was it'd take me getting really pissed off with stuff to actually do stuff about it so like i noticed there was a big difference when i got my teeth done because i'd friends i'd go to hang out with friends and they'd be bringing other friends from their friends from home and stuff lads that i worked with and i remember one friend one lad steve wisely I was going to meet him and one of his friends. I was walking up Camden Street and his friend was laughing when I met him. And I said, what's funny? The two of them were actually hysterical when I walked up the street. I was like, what are you laughing at? And his friend, Donnelly, said to me, he said to me, I'm going to see your smile before I see you because there's always a big happy head on you when you come up. Like, and it was only since I got my teeth done. Mm. So, but that was years later. So I was always walking around this big grin on my face and I was happy the whole time because I felt like I could present to myself and that was one kind of turning point I suppose there's another one 2017 um I had (laughs) nailing somebody here um a lot of my clients were model agencies makeup academies all this sort of this plastic world like mm. air kisses and false promises and they were a lot of my clients because I'd moved from shooting fashion and shooting weddings and all the kind of glamorous stuff art nude stuff all that sort of stuff that I thought that would make me look like a cool photographer and mm. um, I decided after I met Peter Hurley and I had trained with Peter I said look I'm just going to shoot headshots and look and everybody told me I was mad, but I was like, I'm just going to shoot headshots. I'm so focused. I'm so interested in what's going on inside people's heads and how that wear, they wear that on the outside. So I want to do that. Uh, the whole substance over superficial thing. Mm. And I was still shooting a lot of stuff for makeup academies and model agencies and all that stuff. I wasn't shooting the fashion stuff anymore, but I just thought they're going to be my client base because they're my client base already, you know, Actors and models need headshots. Yeah. You know, why shouldn't I be doing this stuff? And I just thought that's where I'm going to go. And then it was just that air kisses and false promises thing was grinding on me. Like it really was. 
the fact that there was no loyalty in the area in, in that kind of area and then I was asked to go to India and photograph acid attack victims in 2018 it was 2017 still and it was supposed to happen at the start of 2018 and uh, this lady had she runs a whole heap of makeup academies and stuff and she said look would you shoot this acid attack victims thing I said yeah definitely go to India photograph them I was going to be going over there for like two months and really getting stuck in and then she said to me do you know anybody shoots video and I said I do yeah look I'll hook you up with them if you want she said yeah because the video guy that we had lined up is looking for money to go to India I was like well hold on you want me to close the doors of my business for two months fly over to India ship myself an assistant and all of my gear over photograph these people for two months then send all of those images to be retouched and processed and then get them back and then give them to you for free I said that's not going to happen like well we're a charity I said well Technically, you're not because you're not registered as a charity. I said, and, and second of all, I'm not a charity. If I close my doors, I don't get paid. You know, it's two months where I'm not getting paid. I still have to pay my bills and stuff. And she had all these excuses and stuff. You know, well, I'm paying to go over myself. I was like, yeah, but you've got four or five businesses that run whether you're there or not. I don't. You know, the video guy doesn't. You know, the video guy that I'd hook you up with doesn't. And she got up and stormed out of the place that we're having a coffee. And I had to call her back because she owed me money. And She's like, I have to go to a meeting. I was like, the meeting was with me. But I was really annoyed. And the following day I was in LinkedIn and I was doing the talk in LinkedIn. And as I was doing the talk, everybody was staring at me. Mm. And everybody was really engaged at what I was talking about. Um, I think it was on reflection or something like that. But it was all about self-image and, and how we see ourselves. And they were asking questions and they were really engaged. And in the middle of that talk, I just thought, screw the rest of them this is where i need to be and then i got on the phone later that day and i rang everybody all of my clients that were in that other that kind of beauty industry and stuff and i said i'm not working with you anymore look there was people sent telling me that they'd send me in 30 heads a month as long as sorry my camera is going to pop off the screen here and the yeah, they, they, I rang them and I just, look, you know, all this promising me you're going to be sending all these people in and me chasing you for the same people that you're going to send in, yeah. you're saying you're going to send in and you're sending them somewhere else because they're cheaper. I said, that doesn't work for me anymore. You know, I'm not doing that anymore. So we basically sacked all of my clients. Yes. Um, I think that's because, it, like, it is, it's a, it's putting yourself first and saying, actually, do you know what, this, this doesn't suit me. And it's an incredible thing to actually just put your hand up and go, I'm not taking that shit anymore. And, yeah, and yeah, and it was the most liberating you. thing. Yeah, it was just it was so liberating, scary at the same time. Like I had to pay the bills, you know. How am I going to pay the bills? I have no clients, yeah. like zero clients. <laughs> but um, it's amazing how things work out, though. You know, when you take that move for yourself, like the universe does listen, and it's like, hey, I've got your back now. I, I'm going to help. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. Like it's the whole thing. Like that whole universe thing. I have this wheel that I explain to people. It's it's I'm not very I'm not very holistic in, in the way of if you put it out there and said that you want a Ferrari, <laughs> you're gonna get a Ferrari. Like I'm one of these people that doesn't wear a watch. I live on farmer time. I'm a bit of a hippie, but at the same time I'm a realist as well, right? So I look at things scientifically. Everything has to be have some sort of a scientific backing. So mm-hmm. otherwise I just Yeah. Um, come on. <laughs> um, so the whole thing with that is that when I say this this wheel thing, I put hormones in the middle of this, which is 
completely everything's gonna like, what yeah but if you have positive hormones running through your bloodstream mm-hmm. so your posture is bigger you look like you're more confident you're more competent you're you look like you're able to do things there, therefore people will ask you to do things people will relate to you mm-hmm. people will want to deal with you because you're gonna be happier within yourself yeah so if you're walking around a big happy head on you people want to be around you mm-hmm. the same as when i got my teeth done you know i was walking around I looked happy and confident and confident and people wanted to be around that because I was happy, confident and confident. So are happy, competent and confident. So people will trust you to do things. Yeah. So you've got your posture is bigger. Your facial posture is bigger. You're happier. You're bigger, wider. You're more engaged and you're more willing to be seen. You're more willing to engage with people, which will lead into success. Because people will trust you to do things or they will ask you to do things outside of the, the norm or the box. So you physically get bigger. Your whole world gets bigger. If you're walking around with negative hormones inside of you, your shoulders are rolled forward. You've diminished posture. You're making yourself smaller. You have a face on you like the smell of vinegar. Nobody wants to deal with you. I'm like, you know, I'm here going I'm in my chair going, oh shit, I better like pluck up my shoulders here. <laughs> That happens with all of my talks. I'm like, I mix human behavioral sciences of photography. So I'm looking at like what's going on inside your head, how you're wearing it on the outside, and everybody shuffles in the chair. Now my desk, where I'm like, I bet you all you can see is my shoulders rolling Yeah, Everybody. My pastor's. Everybody does that. As soon as I start talking and I'm like, this is what I do and this is how I do it, everybody starts shuffling in the chairs and stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Sorry for interrupting you there. Um, no, it's cool. Can I ask you a question? And it might sound like a really shitty question to ask, but um, hearing you speak, first of all, I suppose it might touch on how we create positive hormones for ourselves. But before that, there's a lot of uh, talk that goes around about body image and accepting ourselves and loving ourselves and all that kind of talk that happens. And I know we'll touch on that as well, but had you not, this might sound like an awful of a question now sorry <laughs> had you not got okay. the teeth fixed or would you still have found the confidence that you have now i don't know um it's a really shitty question i've often sorry. thought about that i have often thought about that mm. right now i did have when i came out of school i was bullied the hallway through school as soon as i came out of school i got a job in a place called, i can't remember what it was called actually um it was basically a telesales job for the summer when i came out of school but I think I did a bit of a Robin Williams on it. Like, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, creating characters or entertaining for the, to, to make people like him. Now, I don't think that was a healthy part of my life. Okay. But I did it. Mm. Um, and I found great joy in being accepted by adults because I'd come out of school. They didn't care what my teeth looked like. They didn't know that I'd been bullied the whole way through school. So I was essentially faking it until I made it with these people. So I was always like super high energy, like telling jokes, you know, anything to try and make them like me. And I I think that was the makings of something good, but something bad at the same time, because I think it led into many years of me doing that and doing Mm -hmm. things to try and make, people like me which was clearly unhealthy right but I think it gave me a taste of what it was like to be popular and to be confident I think I didn't realize that I wasn't confident Mm. you know I didn't think I didn't realize that I was only faking it that I was posing yeah yeah um 
and I've often thought about it, would I get my teeth done? Because I talk a lot about, you know, accepting the way you are and, you know, who like what you is is what you is and it's perfect as it is. So would I go and get my teeth done now if I hadn't done it before? But I don't know, it's, it's one of those questions that's really unanswerable because it, it depends yeah. on so many different things. You know, would I be in the position that I am now? Talking about the things I am now if I had had I think, my teeth done. I think the reason I asked it is is you know we can fix things like our teeth or we can fix you know certain things and that will help us grow in confidence but if there's something that we can't fix about ourselves what do we do i think i think we fix things on the outside to try and fix things on the inside okay i love it yeah that's a and that's that's something that i I say a, a huge amount you know girls are getting lip fillers and stuff like that not because they want them or they think they look cool because they don't everybody knows they don't look cool yeah you know one of the things actually one of the most attractive things to a man is a heavy bottom lip so when a girl has a bigger bottom lip towards her top lip now i've been training with this f he, he uses the same skills as the fbi and the cia to profile people right so we it's, it's called physiognomy you'll have to google it and look it up it's actually a real science it's not like phrenology where you're looking at the bumps on your head to see yeah, yeah, yeah. like how intelligent you were or how many times you were dropped as a child they the whole thing is that the, the physiology of the human face is important right because it gives away a lot about how we experience the world and how our lineage has experienced the world and how we've evolved from that Okay. Um, little things like if you look at the nose, you see somebody who's North Scandinavian, they have a long narrow nose because they need to warm air before it goes into their lungs to keep their body temperature higher. You get somebody from the middle of Africa, from Central Africa, they have large nasal bores and a smaller nose, a stubbier nose. And the reason for that is that they don't want the air to touch the capillaries on the inside of their nose before it goes into the body because they don't want to dehydrate themselves. The physiology is important because it's there to do a job. Everything has a job. One of the things that Joseph talks about, one of the most sensitive parts of your body is your bottom lip. Okay. It's the most vascular. It's the most sensitive piece of skin on your body, right? So somebody who has a heavier bottom lip, a bigger bottom lip, is more prone to be sensual. So not only just with their lip, it's, and it's not just sex either. It's, it's about like tactile stuff, touch. They really like touch and tactile stuff. And men will find women who have a bigger bottom lip more approachable or more sensual okay so they don't know why they're attracted to them look at angelina jolie she's lips like a duvet right but people are attracted to her because of the fact that and they don't know why it's just this thing but it's the bottom lip so and then you get girls who are going and they're going oh i have really thin lips on the top like i have a really thin top lip and then they're sticking botox and fillers into it they're trying to fix something on the inside. Their insecurities on the inside, and they're trying to fix that by manif- or by changing something on the outside. Now, that's not going to fix your problem. Yeah. The problem is on the inside still. You're just putting it. It's uh, putting a bandaid across it. It's not going to fix it. Yeah. All it's going to do is mask it for a little bit, and then it's changing things, and it looks unnatural. And girls are going around, and they're like. Look, if you get it done and you're going to get it done, go to somewhere. And I, I, this is not an advertisement for anywhere. People think that I'm completely anti-Botox and anti-fillers. If it makes you feel good, you should do it. Mm. If it's what it is required to make you feel good and to give you more confidence, like me getting my teeth done, yeah. go and do it. Yeah. Because it's the type of thing, but explore other things beforehand. You know, that's you should be exploring other things beforehand to figure out what it is that's actually causing it mm. before you go and you do alter your face. Yeah, because I, I love that because like the mindset and, and I suppose the work that I do is 
quite often when when things aren't people aren't happy with situations in life we try and change our actions uh, which try inevitably to change our results so yeah. we don't look at actually if i just went back a few steps and looked at my beliefs and looked at my thought patterns what does yeah. that say about me and, and go back and look at them and heal them first and then your yeah. actions will be so much different so that ties into that really well yeah i had this conversation with a client actually and i said to her look if you do if you are going to go go and go get Botox and fillers because she was talking about it. She's in her 40s and she's like, oh my God, I'm getting to that stage and you know, I'm really not happy with the way I'm looking at stuff. I said, look, what we'll do is we'll take some photographs. I'll show you what you actually look like and then we'll have a conversation about it afterwards. But you need to be aware of the fact that <clears throat> everything you're wearing on your face is on loan. Your parents and your grandparents had those lips and that nose and you didn't see a fault with them. There was nothing wrong with them. You're going to pass them on to your kids and you're not going to see fault in them. Nobody's going to tell you that your kids are ugly and you're certainly not going to say it yourself. You're not going to go, I hate those lips on that child because you don't believe that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, when you see it on yourself, you see fault in it. And then you go and you, you kind of manifest that and you make it worse and worse and worse in your own head. And you're like, okay, I need to go and get this done. If, you, if it comes to that stage where you, have, you feel you have no other choice but to alter yourself, well, then that's fine. You go and do it, but you somewhere reputable. Like there's Kerry Hanafy. <clears throat> I know she's on set William Street, but she will not go too far. She'll be like, Look, you're not getting anymore. Yeah. You know, there are places like that. There are places like that. There's another girl on, I can't remember her name, she's on Leeson Street. And I know she's the same doctor or something. And she's but she's the exact same. They will not go too far. They they'll just tell you no. Yeah. If you want to go further, you're going to have to ring your friend Teresa or Maria who's going to come around after she bought all that shit on the internet and she'll come around and stick it into your lips for you. Like, that's just... and Don't do that either. Jesus, don't do that. But, um, you know, that's the sort of people that have morals about what they're doing and that's, like, you know, we need to learn from that. Like, But, um, yeah, you don't have to change something on the inside to change something on the outside. I Change something on the outside to change something on the inside. Like, we don't know what we look like. Yeah. The whole thing is we don't know what we look like. I say this to every single client. You look in the mirror, you think you look like that, but you don't. You're the only person on the planet who sees it. Now, when you see a photograph, photographs are unnatural. The only way you're supposed to be able to see yourself is in a ripple puddle outside a cave because that's where nature is. Mm. And technology versus human psychoevolution are happening at two completely different rates. So we're not able to adapt as quick as technology is psychologically. Okay. So when you see a photograph, it's the wrong way around for your brain. Yeah. because you're used to seeing the person in the mirror and your brain wants to figure out what's wrong so you pick one thing on your face you don't like it's the same thing in every single photograph and it's always there and you blame that on making you feel uncomfortable but it's not that mm. it's the fact that the person in the photograph is uncomfortable so we have empathy and empathy is based on shapes you walk into a room where everybody's sad you bring your energy level down because you're reading their body shapes okay you're reading their facial expressions, the movement of the eyebrows, the lower eyelids and the corners of the mouth. So you bring your energy level down to theirs. If you are with somebody who's really happy, you bring your level up to theirs because mm. you're matching them. That's all it is. It's copying them. Okay. It's empathy. And so you're feeling what they're feeling. But when you see a photograph, your brain doesn't understand that the person in the photograph is frozen in time. It's two dimensional. It doesn't, it, it's, it's you. Yeah, yeah. Your brain is looking at that as if it's an actual person standing in front of you. And if they're uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable. So what we tend to see when we look at photographs of ourselves is us standing there doing a sister-in-law smile. You know, we're going, like you move your yeah. mouth because 
when you're standing in front of the camera, your brain is saying, your amygdala is saying, okay, I'm standing in front of the camera. Camera means smile. Smile is mouth. I'll move my mouth. But a genuine reactive smile happens from the tips of your toes all the way to the top of your head because you're full of hormones. You're full of endorphins. You're full of like dopamine. So you lift yourself. Your posture is physically bigger. Your smile is wider and it goes upwards at the edge. Mm. Your lower eyelids are squeezed because a tendon up here called the medial cantal tendon is activating the cantus muscle, which releases endorphins into the bloodstream. Oh. It's linked to the limbic system. So you're smiling with your whole body. Mm. And then you stand in front of a camera and try and fake it and you move your mouth and you wonder what's wrong. Yeah. What's actually wrong is the fact that the person is uncomfortable in the photograph and faking it. And your brain saying, why is that person doing that to me? Like if somebody did that to me in the street, I'd call them an asshole, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's a real thing. And you're kind of going, that person is uncomfortable. I need to feel uncomfortable with them. And that's why you feel uncomfortable looking at yourself in photographs. It's not because you have a weird thing in your face. I do this all the time in the show clients. I'm like, look, this is the difference between a real smile and a fake smile. Yeah. And when they see themselves, like I had one girl and she made me cry. Like I cry all the time in the studio. I'm a big sap. And I have a blog post on my website, which the blog post on my website used to be called um, Inside Out. Because it was all about what's going on in the inside. Um, but then it got too long for the title bar on my website. And there's too much other crap on it. So I just called it blog. Yeah. Um, so, and now everything is substance over superficial. But the, the whole thing is she came in. And this happens too much. Like people walk into the studio. They always have the same kind of go-tos. I hope you're good at Photoshop. I'm really not photogenic. They're apologizing when they come in for all of these different reasons. Um, look, this is going to be a bit of a struggle. It is for you in the first 10 minutes and maybe grand afterwards. But um, look, I take that from them. And I probably shouldn't, but I'm like, look, this is all on me. You know, it's my job to take the best photograph of you that you've ever had taken. You don't have to do anything other than do what I tell you to do. Like, and if I fail, I fail. You know, so, you know, and it's on me, not you. So I'm kind of trying to take the responsibility onto my own shoulders. And then but I've had people walk in. I had this one girl come in and I'd worked with her husband a couple of days beforehand. And he said, oh, I really should bring my wife in. So I said, do. And then he did. And she came in and on the way in the door, I was expecting the whole, you know, you know, I, I'm not photogenic. I hope you're good at Photoshop. All the usual excuses. And she said to me, I can't look at myself in the mirror. And it floored me. Wow. Oh, Jesus. Um, and she's a really pretty girl. Yeah. I said, okay. I said, come on in. We'll get you comfortable. We'll get you sorted. I explained the way things work. And then I started to explain stuff to her. And she got it really quickly. And I think I got her in the first five photographs. Now, I'm not one of these people who holds the trigger down and just takes hundreds of photographs in a session. Like, in a half an hour, I might take 10 photographs. Yeah. You know, in an hour, I might only take 10 photographs as well. It's me having a conversation with them and picking off things about their personalities that I see through the body language. So I was talking to her, got her in the first photograph, couple of photographs, and I brought her out and I showed her the screen. And we went back to the first image where she was uncomfortable. I said, okay, you know, your shoulders are rolled forward. You're holding your eyes open because you're like trying to get a good view of the whole room. You're doing that sister-in-law smile thing with your mouth. It's uncomfortable. Person is uncomfortable. So I fixed her posture, fixed her body language. I kind of explained stuff. I gave her a few little tips and tricks. Um, and then I told her to stop looking constipated and she laughed. <laughs> and I took a photograph of her. And then I brought her out and I put the two images on the screen side by side. Her with a genuine smile on her face and her with this uncomfortable social smile where she's faking it on her, on her face. And I showed her the difference. And 
she said, I, I'm, I'm pretty. And I said, yeah, of course you are. Oh. Like, I've never seen myself like that before. I said, we don't, because it's very difficult for us to see ourselves. You don't have hand, eyeballs in your hands. You know, you can't get to see yourself. You've got 16,384 different musculature variations in your face. There's no way that you know what you're, you look like. Yeah. So she went back in and she was there for 90 minutes. For the rest of the time, we just laughed and took photographs and they were amazing. And she changed her clothes and she came back out, took more photographs and they're all amazing. From that moment, she had changed. She was leaving. And she had one of the other things she had said is that when she walks into the toilets in a pub or a nightclub, she won't go in if there's other girls in there because she feels like they're looking at her. Wow. So she had left and they were going up to Farrier and Draper up the road from the studio for a drink. And she came back up the stairs and into the studio and she gave me a hug. And she said, the first thing I do when I go into Farrier and Draper is I'm walking into the toilets to look at myself in the mirror. Wow. And I was a bit like... I'm going to cry now myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm losing <laughs> Like I was absolutely in bits. My eyeballs were sweating. And um, she left and she went up to Farrier and Draper and I sent her the images. And the next day they were all over her Facebook page. She sent me a friend request on Facebook and she was showing everybody the images. And she was saying, like, which one do you think I should use on my LinkedIn? And that had given her the opportunity to see herself for the first time in a long time. She built up this self sense of I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. It's imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's, a, it's all it is is imposter syndrome with an image twist, you know, it, it's it, with a physical twist. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened. It's not the last time it's happened. It's happened a lot. I've had lads walk in, big rugby playing lads, and they stand behind you and you take a couple of photographs and you say, come on out, I'm going to show you what we're talking about. After I fixed their posture and I've kind of taught them stuff and the little basics. So we've only got two or three images taken and they come out. And then you show them the first one as to the third one. And you go, look, this is the difference between a genuine smile and like your posture. Look at your posture change. Look at your jawline. Look at all this sort of stuff. And I've had big, heavy rugby playing lads burst into tears in the studio. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell all of your friends, this is the first, we're live streaming this. But, um, you know, it happens so much that it's, and I think I nearly see myself in that as well, because I see that change in them that it took me a long time to get, you know, it took me years and years and years to get to that stage. Like after 2017, again, one of those other turning points, it was like, you know, I'm not doing things to impress people anymore. Yeah. They can all go and piss off. I don't care anymore. I genuinely don't care. Um, I'm not doing it to impress them. I'm not doing it to impress me either. Mm. I do things because they make me feel good now. doesn't matter what it is. If it makes me feel good, like I went and got a coffee this morning and told the lady behind the counter, um, she was very friendly. I was like, you're very friendly for a Friday morning. And she's like, I am very friendly for a Friday morning. And then she had a big smile on her face. You know, I went to the Starbucks another time. Um, I was at a, conference thing for junior chamber made a bit of a break and we went into starbucks on cardiff lane and the girl had a big long red plat that came down over her shoulder and i told her she looked like a disney princess oh. and her friend laughed and then she laughed and then she stood there and she's like oh my god thanks very much and everybody in the place was laughing but at the fact that she genuinely did look like a disney princess yeah. like she's really good looking mm. but i don't like she's just having a shitty day and that one comment had lifted her yeah. You know, I go through the toll and I don't go through the coin book a thing. I go through where the, the people are and I say thank you to them. 
thank you, not thanks. And I talk to them and I say hello to them and stuff like that because they've all these anonymous people coming to. to try and I think them. we've we've lost the art of 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 I'm going to say caring and actually communicating properly with each other because I'm a I'm a massive advocate for. Um, I used to always believe that I was I cared too much. That was a script that I gave myself. I cared too yeah. much, and people would have said it to me. You know, don't care as much. You care too much, and you know, because I get upset quite easily with different bits and pieces when I was younger. But I'm now seeing that as a superpower because in the world that we're living with now it's so fast-paced we don't slow down we don't take time to actually just tell someone like i'm a big advocate to just say if you actually see something that you like about something or someone fucking tell them and tell them like tell them how you feel like i'd rather go you know every time i go to a funeral not to get very grim when someone dies what we tend to do is, oh my God, wasn't they, weren't they the ma- most amazing person? I loved how they did this. I loved how they did this. And this is what I loved about the most. And I, I, I listened to that. And I'm like, did you fucking tell them while they were alive? <laughs> I don't say yeah, it, yeah. obviously. But I, I, like, I remember having a conversation with my wife, Paula. I'm like, will you write me um, a eulogy like you would say at my funeral? And she was like, what? I was like, this is just a random brain fart that I have. Write me my eulogy. And she's like, what do you mean? I won't be fucking there to hear it, like, will I, if I die before you? And she was like, you're so weird. But like, I think we should just tell people, you know, how they've impacted our lives. Even if it's just somebody like in, in Centre to say, like, you're very friendly. Like, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you but- know, it makes a huge difference for the world. I'm not a mad one for quotes, but Gandhi said, so selfish is mankind that we can't do for another without doing for ourselves. And that's so true. Empathy. You know, Mm. you make somebody feel good. It makes you feel good because they're smiling. You bring yourself up to their level. Yeah. And all you've done is say you're friendly or I love your hair and like whatever it is, it's something small Mm. and it makes such a massive difference to them. But you feel good for doing it because they feel good. Yeah. So if you want to make yourself feel good and you want to fill yourself full of positive, good hormones, do nice shit for other people. And that's as simple yeah. as it is, yeah. you know, because that is very, very basics of it. You make somebody else feel good. You're going to feel good in turn. Yeah. And that's only based on empathy. That's all it is, is based on empathy, you know, and it's understanding that very basic concept. You know, the only, I only do stuff that makes me feel that stuff that I want to do. I don't do shit anymore that I don't want to do. I think I'm just cranky and old aged or whatever. It's like I'm not doing that crap anymore. Piss off. Yeah. But like you know, I don't bother with any of that sort of stuff that doesn't. It Joe alcohols and higher vibrations and kind of positive vibrations and stuff. You know, it's look. I'm living on a different plane now because. I just don't do stuff to impress people anymore. I don't do stuff because I feel like they want me to do it. If I want to do it, I'll do it. If we don't want to do it, I just don't do it. Mm. I think that's important too, because like the more that we do things we don't want to do, the more the negative energy will start to drop. You know, they'll be mirroring off of you because you like, will be like, Oh, I just really don't want to do this. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it does. And then that's that hormone wheel thing again. It's, it's just bringing you down and it's making people come down with you. And, Nobody wants to be that drain. We all have that one friend who just moans about everything and you're like, come on. <laughs> and then they're ringing you and you don't want to answer the phone because they're only moaning again. Yeah. What's wrong with you today? You know, and we can very easily get into that habit. Mm. It's just as easy to get into the habit of being happy as it is to get into the habit of being that friend who has the face like the smell of vinegar. You know, yeah. it's so easy. Like, because... It's about making decisions and choices in your life, you know, and, and all of the things that we do as well in the past, all the things that made us feel shitty in the past, you know, in the past, when it happened, it was guilt. And then it becomes shame. 
Mm. And there is a point that that becomes shame. You're looking back on it and you're thinking, oh, fuck's sake. Yeah. And what we should be doing is looking back and saying things like, look how far I've come. Yeah. Like, look how far I've come. Mm. Look at the difference in me now as to then. Yeah. Like, and the only way that comes is with, I suppose, forgiving yourself, but nobody really knows how to forgive themselves. Yeah. You can go, I forgive myself, but it, you know, it's the same as doing that sister-in-law smile. It's fake. You know, you're only saying it for the sake of saying it, but it's, it's about looking at the stuff that you have. I suppose gratitude is a great thing because you can look at the things that you have going on in your life now and go, Jesus, look at where I am. Yeah. Look at the stuff that I get to do. Look at all the cool stuff that I get to do. You know, I'd have had that kind of whole shame thing in my life for so long. And I don't even know when it happened. It was, again, since 2017, I was looking back at my life going, Jesus Christ, Like, I have Google as a client, Facebook as a client, LinkedIn. I'm the dude who shoots LinkedIn headshots for LinkedIn themselves. You know, yes. how did that happen? <laughs> you know, I'm from the flats in Pier Street. Look, I'm not from you know, one of the a big superstar background or whatever, anything like that. And you kind of look and and always, I mentioned it at the Mental Health and Wellbeing Summit, this whole kind of self-image thing and the societal self-image, looking at where you're from and what is the norm of where you're from. You know, there's lads that I went to school with that live between the bookies and the pub. There are lads that, like, my, that whole area, you're either, you know, if you have a job, you're probably working for Tesco's, you're probably an electrician, you work on a building site, you're a crane driver, you're something along those lines, something manual and physical. Because that's what everybody else does. That's what everybody else does. That as well. Do you know the level of, of when someone else is in a good mood, we go up to that level, and if they're in a bad mood, we come down. It's almost like that same level of this is where I'm from, and this is all yeah, I can see. You know. Yeah, it's societal self-image. It's exactly what it like. It's it's monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's everybody else is doing this. There's lads that I know that I remember one guy in school, and he was and I was horrified by it. He was saying, oh, I can't wait till I'm 16. I'm going to leave school. I'm going to go on the dole. You get like 180 quid a week for nothing. And I was like, what? Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you not want to contribute? And this is me as a child. This is me as a 14 or 15 year old. And, but that's what he saw around him. That's what the norm around him was. If you're from Docky or Colony or Clontarf or Port Marnock or any of these areas and everybody that you know and all your friends, parents and your parents are all doctors, solicitors, academics, you know, chances are you're going into that field as well. You're going to go into that area because that's what everybody else does. Mm. And that's the pathway that's set out for you. If you're from Docky and you want to be a gangster rapper and rap about how much your mother loves you, you should be doing that. Yeah. You know, if you're from Finglas or Ballymun or you're from like a disadvantaged, any disadvantaged area and you want to be a professional violin player or cellist, that's the sort of thing that you should be doing because that's the thing that will fulfill you. That's the thing that will make you feel good. And, like I looked at, I talk about my family. Like my sister left school, did her leave insert, decided that she wanted to be a hairdresser because my mom was, my aunt was. She wanted to go down that line because that's what they did, and it seemed like it, the path was beaten for her. It was it was easy for her to take that road, so she did very good at it. She worked in some amazing places. She gave it up then, working for people, and went and opened her own salon. She had her own salon for a while, and now she's gone back to college and she's training as a, a digital animator because. Wow. He wanted to do that. Yeah. My brother's a barrister. He was always an argumentative little bollocks, and now he gets paid really well for it. Um, you know, we don't fit the norm for Pierce Street. Yeah. 
we don't. You know, there's other lads that stand in front of judges from Pier Street. Some of them are my brother's friends, but they're not standing in front of the judge at getting paid for it, the same as he is. They're there for a completely different reason. Um, trying to save themselves a few years. But, um, you know, it's we don't fit the norm for Pier Street. And I thought, you know, being a photographer from Pier Street, nobody's going to champion you. Like, nobody is going to stand behind you. And nobody, like, they're all going to bully you for doing this kind of sissy mm. job or this weird job that's like, it's not manly. You're not out on a building site all day doing stuff. Um, but they were the very people that stood behind me and had me photographing their kids and telling everybody how great I was. You know, they're the very people who supported me, despite the fact that I felt like I would be bullied if I did it. You know, if I went out and I had like one of these kind of flowery, like, I don't know, creative jobs, like everybody from Pier Street's going to pick on me and everybody from Pier Street's going to talk about me as if there's something wrong with me. But they didn't. Mm. The very people who got behind me and pushed me. There's a filmmaker named Jared Walsh. Um, I grew up with his sisters and his brother. Jared's a couple of years younger than me. Like, he's had stuff played. He's from Pier Street as well. He's had stuff played in Hollywood. He's had stuff played, you know, he films stuff for Conor McGregor. He does all the stuff for the White Moose Cafe. He's like, he does loads of stuff. He's he's won loads of film awards and like film flaws and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And it's the people from Pierce Street get behind and push, yeah. you know. And you go, oh, I don't want to do that because I don't want to step out from the crowd and be different. Yeah. But because I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be picked on. I don't want to be seen to be different because it makes me a victim, but it doesn't make you a victim. The whole thing is that you now end up with two different herds. The herd that you grew up with, Mm. who give you the strength to be you, and then the people that you, your new herd, the people who are those creatives, that new set of people that you start hanging around with and stuff like that. You know, they're the people who, you now have two different sets of people championing you. And if there's anybody that doesn't champion you, fuck them. Like, who cares? Exactly, yeah. Like really, I think we get cares? very hung up on, on other people's opinions that we just don't... Yeah, when you're 90 years of age, you won't give a fuck what that person said. Yeah. Excuse my French, but that's the truth. <laughs> you're you know, nobody's going to give a bollocks when you're 90 years of age. You're not going to give... Look, your life, will be, your life will have been lived the way it was meant to be lived when you were 90 years of age. But you get to make that decision now. You mm-hmm. know, your life is... This is one of my quotes from the Mental Health and Wellbeing Summit that I came up with at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, you're, I woke up with it. It was great. I said it like Jeff Bezos and I had like Deepak Chopra and I had like you know, Gandhi and then all of a sudden I had John Murray, three o'clock in the morning. Your life, or, sorry, your story is something that you should be telling on reflection. Not something that should be told to you before it even happens. So live in your life based on what happens around your area and what everybody else does. You know, that's your life being told to you before it even happens. But it should be something that you're telling, looking back on it, rather than something looking forward. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know where it came from. It just happened at about three o'clock in the morning, mic drop. And it was just this kind of cool thing. I was like, actually, where did that come from? I don't know where that came from. I woke up and it was just there and I wrote it into my phone. And it ended up being a quote in, it's something I put up on the screen for the Mental Health and Wellbeing Summit. It's like, talking about that societal self-image, the whole thing about the physical self-image is, is pretty much the same. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. It's all imposter syndrome. The whole lot is imposter syndrome and it's based on false evidence. The evidence is wrong. Yeah. You don't know what you look like. Even though you think you do, you don't. So, like I said earlier, you've 16,384 different musculature variations in your face. You don't know what you look like. Mm. You can't possibly have seen all of those expressions. 
you know, and that's the whole thing is to. How do we help ourselves to become more accepting of of ourselves, basically? Stop giving a shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, I don't know. Learn that you need to learn to see yourself from different angles, and I don't mean that physically. I mean that this this whole concept I have on a beach ball. You know, I show this beach ball, and first of all, I say, "What is this?" And people say, "It's a beach ball." I say, "It's not a beach ball. It's a picture of a beach ball." I think we associate that shape. Yeah. You know, emojis aren't faces. We associate those shapes with different things. But the other thing with the beach ball is that we don't, we we can't see it all. So if I was to show you a beach ball and cover all of the sides of the beach ball except the red side and say what color is it and you said it's red, you're not wrong. Mm. Based on the evidence, it's red. If I cover that and show somebody else the purple side and say what side, what color is it? And they say it's purple. Based on the evidence, the ball is purple. They're not wrong. So it's their opinion. And opinions are imagination plus fact. Right, or their fact, yeah, fact plus imagination. Facts are facts. When we peel back all of the layers of that beach ball, all of the sides, and we show the whole thing, then we have a rounded view of it. But we don't really get a rounded view of ourselves because we don't get to see enough of ourselves. We get to see the weird version of ourselves that we see in the mirror, not looking great that day, and we have the negative self-talk, and we talk about ourselves. Oh, I'm not feeling it today. The hair's all over the shop. Mm. You know, I'm just, I look like a bag of spanners. I'm in bits. Like, you know we don't like that and then we see ourselves in the photographs we don't like that either because it's uncomfortable it makes us feel uncomfortable we blame that thing on our face that it's not even that and we feel uncomfortable so we think we're not photogenic we're not pretty enough we're on social media we're looking at facebook and instagram and we don't understand that facebook is sensationalism you know first thing in the morning everybody's super happy everybody loves everybody and then by lunchtime your sister's at their sleep and with your boyfriend is chaos everybody hates everybody right but you go onto instagram then and instagram is only highlights yeah it's only ever the highlights and we look at that as you go around your gray day you're sitting next to the smelly dude on the bus again and you know you're going to work to do the same thing that you do every single day with the same people you do every day and we live in this gray space that we call self we don't identify with any of the cool stuff that goes on we don't see any of our, any of our superpowers mm. and i think that's the problem the problem is that we're living in that gray space the problem is that we don't appreciate the little things that are going on or we don't see the things that people do for us or the things that make us us the reasons that our friends and family love us like the the reasons that people really appreciate having us in their lives you know i remember i did a talk in bank of ireland um the start of last year i did it, it was on diversity and inclusion and i was talking about this whole kind of superhero concept and the superpowers and I said, is there any parents in the room? And loads of hands went up. Mm. And I said, you made a human. How fucking cool is that? You made a human. And not only did you make a human, which was the crack, let's face it. Right? But <laughs> amazing, great crack. I hope it was. Um, not only that, you physically shape that human. So you teach them to be loving and kind. You teach them to feed themselves, clothe themselves, shelter themselves. You teach them to communicate. You teach them to to do all the things it takes to be a human. So not only do you go and physically produce a human, you go and you shape that human or you help to shape that human after the fact. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you're doing the exact same thing. Mm. You're physically shaping the people around you. 
yeah. you're impacting the people around you. You don't see that as a superpower because it's just something that happens during your day. Mm. But it's something incredible that you do every single day that you don't put any value on because it's just another thing you do. You know, during lockdown and stuff like that, especially the first one, we were all amazing. We're all going out helping elderly neighbors and in the infirm and we're doing whatever we can to do for the good of the village so everybody benefits. Yeah. And we don't put any value on that because I'm doing it. But when you see other people doing it, you're like, isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, but you do it too. Like, it's cool when you do it, even though you don't see it. Vision by its very nature is external. So the only way we see the world is externally. Yeah. We measure ourselves against everything else that's external. We don't look internal because we can't. We don't have eyeballs and palms of our hands to look at ourselves and to, to kind of see the cool stuff that we do every day and really put value on it. Yeah. And I think Irish as well is nearly a dirty word for putting value on yourself yeah you know that kind of whole church shame how dare you you know how yeah. dare you like yourself yeah. it's as bad as masturbating you're killing <laughs> you're killing god's babies now all that sort of stuff is like we don't do that sort of stuff because i, I think it's nearly shameful to have any value on yourself like it's great in america it's yeah, one of those yeah, things you have great. to go to america to do I um I did an exercise recently. I was reading a book called um, Your Message Matters, and it was it's a book kind of trying to help you, I suppose, understand your message and, and where you want to go and all that kind of stuff. So, um, an exercise in it was you to um, contact five people, so five different people, your friends, your family, whoever you you cho chose, and ask them two questions. One of the questions was pick three words to describe me, and uh, three. Um, let me know the last time or let me know uh, what you think sorry what's the question when was the last time you saw me like really fully alive living like what was that yeah. what, what was I doing um, at that time and before I did it I was like oh everybody's gonna think now I'm so fucking self-centered and full of my own self-importance and I just want someone to tell me how lovely I am and wonderful I am and um, the answers I got were they actually blew me away because I always still sometimes would view the world as I'm not good enough or I'm still too much. There, there are two things that I really, I, they, I do struggle with. Um, I've overcome them to a certain extent, but they are always there. And seeing, I suppose, how other people see me was a, a really good exercise to do because I got to see myself in their eyes. And, and how they saw me and they don't see me as too much they don't see me as not being good enough and when they um described you know what I was doing when I felt alive it, like, it just blew me away and it was incredible because and I think it's an exercise that we should all do um just to I suppose see from other people's perspective most definitely I remember doing a thing through JCI it was a gift that was given us to us um, with Catherine Strum um she's a life coach and Basically, we all got into a room and we were all given sheets of paper and sellotape. Mm. And we had to write something about the person who was standing next to us. You know, a quality, something nice about them, something we liked about them. And then we stuck it to their backs. And we all kind of walked around the room sticking these things on each other's backs. And it was great. It was this amazing kind of sense of, I'm going to have to move my car so some kayaker yeah, can get no into the water. <laughs> uh, he doesn't realize I'm doing a podcast interview. This is like an adventure uh, uh, podcast. I love it. <laughs> It's either this or I have to sit at home with like a dude wrecking the battery um, in the noise. How uncomfortable is this? I feel uh, like we're in a as well. I wouldn't mind. I'm a kayaker and I feel really bad for him. Like, um, 
I feel like I'm in a reality TV show now. <laughs> but um, this is just crazy. Right, so, yeah, like, it was really, really nice to f- get this experience of how other people were seeing us. Mm-hmm. I do this thing as well, especially with large groups. If they're being, if there's a few people who aren't getting it, then I do this thing, and it's, I'm a person who... And I'll start off, I'm like, you, you just have to say a sentence, I'm a person who, and then you finish it with something. It doesn't matter what it is. And I like start off with, I'm a person who pays my bills. And they're like, I'm a person who has a dog. I'm a person who has a house. I'm a person who has a car. I'm a person who has a wife. I'm a person who has kids. You go all through all this sort of stuff. And at the end of it, I just like, and I, I only do it really quickly. And then I say, nobody said I'm a person who's a failure. And nobody said, I'm a person who has a weird face or a weird nose or an uncomfortable kind of like, you know, weird ears or whatever. Nobody talks about that stuff because you don't actually believe it. Yeah. It's about your beliefs. That whole thing is about your beliefs. What you believe about yourself. Mm. Like you don't say I'm a failure or I'm crap at stuff. You say, you, you pick out all the things in your life that are, are, are valuable. Like I am a person who loves dogs. I'm a person who loves, like I could say, I'm a person who loves kayaking because I genuinely do. I don't anymore because he's making me move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think in the middle of an interview, but uh, yeah, no, like that's like all that sort of stuff is the valuable stuff that's within our lives. And we don't do it enough. We don't like, we don't look at them enough. We don't call them out enough. And I think that's the problem is that we're not, aware we are aware of them but we're not consciously talking about them yeah exactly um not to take up too much more of your time but i have um two questions uh what advice would you give your younger self don't give a shit about what people think that's my whole thing that's i spent so many years doing things because i thought it would make other people proud of me and other people happy and other people like me and stuff like that and um yeah just too many years of that and Mm. yeah don't care do whatever makes you happy and don't care about the rest of it they'll all like you for being happy in the first place yeah exactly and who inspires you the most where do you draw your inspiration from is there a particular person or area or where do you draw your inspiration from all over the place you know from the photographic world it's peter hurley or people like um clive boot like but that's an artistic thing peter i trained with peter in 2014 changed my life you know mm. just how i look at people how i deal with people is completely different um my dad my dad like everybody tells me how my dad's sense of humor and stuff like that my brother does as well very sharp quick sense of humor um and the the want within us to do better for other people as well uh, like the champion and the fight for the little man like that's always been within us um my dad was heavily involved in the unions and rte and stuff like that and you know that was that was massive like that's always been massive for us i think that's why your brother's an employment law barrister now like yeah. you know it, it, it it's kind of fed into us um to want to do better for people and that's what my business is all about you know trying to teach people to unconditionally love themselves and their faces and get out of their own way um my mom as well I don't know. I, I get inspiration from all over the place. Like every, like we're a mosaic of all the people that we meet. You know, mm. you're physically a mosaic of all the people who came before you, and emotionally and personality-wise, we're a mosaic of all the people that we meet. So anybody who influences you is somewhere within you. You know. Yeah, I love it. I love so it. I, I don't know. I get inspiration from all over the place. Epic. 
Um, thank you so much. That was a, an epic chat. I love catching up with you. Um, and I know it's going to provide a lot of a lot of value. And I love the adventure of <laughs> being in a reality yeah. TV show with you. Um, any final thoughts, words, or wisdom? Don't give a shit. <laughs> Don't give a shit. And I finish every talk I do with this same couple of sentences. How you walk in the skin you wear is your decision. Why not embrace it? Because what other choice do you have? Mic drop. Thank you so Orange much. Orange bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will drop so it my testicles in the car. And, um, <laughs> and that's not the way we want to finish this interview. <laughs> this is the way I go on all the time. This is just how I am. I'm mad. Uh, you are, but we love you for your madness. Um, thank you so much. That was incredible. You're a legend. Super. Now I'm going to go and abuse this kayaker. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.